welcome to Alex's and want to uh, make uh, two uh, special announcements before we look at our text this morning, and that is we have uh, two engagements uh, to celebrate in the life of our church. Uh, a few weeks ago, um, Daniel Petteroy popped the question to Abby Nygaard, and she said yes. Congratulations, Daniel and Abby, and uh, they're going to be married sometime in the summer. And then just recently, uh, Chris Pappas got on his knee on top of Stone Mountain in uh, Atlanta and asked uh, Paulina Jigzalik uh, to be his bride. And Paulina, did you say yes? Yeah, the ring, the ring is evidence, right? Well, congratulations to you guys. That's wonderful. We give thanks to God uh, for that. Well, let's uh, turn now to Galatians chapter 2 as we continue our series in uh, this letter from the Apostle Paul to uh, the churches of Galatia. We're looking this morning at verses 1 to 10. It's printed for you there in your worship folder on page 6 and will be on the screens uh, before us. Hear now the word of God. Then after 14 years, I, Paul speaking, went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those, from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas, that is Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and to me, and that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Father, we thank you for this portion of your word inspired by your spirit and preserved for us so that this morning we can have uh, this word before us, this passage, um, which is the, the beautiful confirmation uh, and preservation of the gospel in all of its unity and grace 
and welcome. And we ask that you would sear this word into our souls, that we, like Paul, would not budge one inch from the grace of the gospel, the freedom of the gospel, the power, the joy, the wonder, the hope, the glory of the gospel. And that we might keep it and um, believe it and preserve it for the next generation so that they might know and love the Savior um, that it declares. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a, a cursory reading of this passage might lead some of us to ask, uh, what in the world does a meeting 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem between a few apostles uh, have to do with me and us and the problems that we face in our world today? Uh, we could ask the same thing about uh, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak meeting each other back in 1971. What, what in the world does that have to do with me or our world? Only that uh, that meeting led to the founding of Apple and changed the way you and I and the rest of the world communicate with each other. One scholar has said that this meeting recorded for us here in Galatians 2 may be the most important meeting in the history of the church because of what happened there. And verse 5 tells us that the truth of the gospel was preserved, not just for the Galatians, uh, but for every generation of Christians since then. We could say that in one sense, uh, we're here this morning as followers of the Lord Jesus, worshiping him because of what happened in that meeting 2,000 years ago there in Jerusalem. The gospel was preserved there for us. And Paul highlights for us at least three aspects of the gospel in this passage that uh, were preserved that day, namely its unifying power, its unconditional grace, and its universal welcome. First, the truth of the gospel's unifying power was preserved for us in this meeting. Not long after Paul had planted uh, these churches in the southern region of Galatia in modern-day Turkey, uh, a group of false teachers had infiltrated the ranks of the leadership in those churches and were uh, bringing a very different message from what Paul had taught them, which was salvation was by grace, the grace of God alone, uh, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And these Judaizers, as they were called, came behind Paul and said, well, you know, that's fine, you need to believe in Jesus, but you also need to adhere to all the rites and ceremonies of the Mosaic law if you want to be acceptable to God. Uh, the 
the life and death and resurrection of Jesus was a good thing, but it wasn't sufficient. It wasn't enough. Uh, you had to do your part by keeping these Jewish rites of the Old Covenant, especially the rite of circumcision. Um, these false teachers were distorting. They were really perverting, uh, reversing, turning inside out and upside down uh, the true gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And they were also undermining Paul's authority as an apostle. Uh, they were saying that Paul was not one of the original 12 apostles that lived with Jesus and ministered with him for three years during his earthly ministry. Uh, Paul got his message, they, uh, they said, uh, and his authority secondhand from the real apostles there in Jerusalem, Peter and James and John and the others. And Paul had adapted what they had taught him and uh, he was simply making it easy for the Gentiles to come into the church without being circumcised. And these first two chapters of Galatians is Paul's defense against these charges. That he really wasn't a true apostle and that he was preaching a false gospel. Um, and his whole point is to assert that his calling and his authority and his message is not from any man or any group of men, but directly from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So to undermine and reject Paul's ministry and message is to undermine and to reject God himself. So if, if you're a Christian in Galatia at this time, reading this letter from Paul, um, you're confused. Uh, Paul is saying one thing about salvation, that it's all of grace and simply through faith in Christ uh, you can be delivered from your sins and from the judgment of God and enter into eternal life. Um, and the other teachers who claim to be sent from the apostles in Jerusalem are saying something very different. So, the question is, are the apostles divided? Um, are, they, are they preaching from a different set of sermon notes? Uh, is there disunity among the apostles regarding the very heart of the Christian faith? If there is, then there is a massive fracture in the foundation of the church and the whole thing is going to come tumbling down so paul deals with this question by recounting this meeting with the jerusalem apostles and he tells us in verse one that 14 years after his first visit to jerusalem he returned because of a revelation that he received directly from the lord jesus christ and this is one more evidence that paul is not taking his marching orders from anyone else, even the apostles in Jerusalem, he is taking his marching orders 17 years after his conversion, still directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. And while Paul is in Jerusalem, he met privately with the other apostles there, Peter, James, and John, James, the Lord's brother here. And he refers to them several times as those who seem to be influential in verse 2 and verse 6 and verse 9. Now, this, this sounds like 
Paul is being condescending, or they just seem to be influential. Um, but he's actually saying to the Galatians, look, I met with a top brass uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, the very apostles who walked with Jesus for three years. I met with them and set before them the gospel that I preach to you and that I preach everywhere else. And the reason that he did that, that he set this, his gospel before them, verse 3 was, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Paul was not looking for any approval from those apostles. He uh, wasn't wondering if he had the gospel right. He wanted to make sure that they are all unified in teaching the same gospel. And they were. They were. The gospel is unified, whether it comes from Paul or from Peter, James, or John. Look at verses 6 through 9. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. He's not impressed with externals. He's not impressed with titles. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. That's a very important statement. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, and when James and Cephas and John, verse 9, who seemed to be pillars perceived the grace that was given to me they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised only they asked us to remember the poor the very thing I was eager to do the Jerusalem apostles added nothing to Paul's ministry nothing to his message they didn't contradict it they didn't change it they didn't trim it they didn't edit it they didn't subtract from it in any way shape or form and they recognized and affirmed Paul's calling to the Gentiles and they saw in him the text says the same grace given to Peter for his ministry to the Jews the point is that there was no division no disunity between the gospel Peter James and John preached and the gospel that Paul preached between these four men mentioned in this text, we have 22 of the 27 books of the New Testament. Did you know that? Peter wrote two letters, First and Second Peter, and Mark's gospel is really Peter's account of the life and ministry of Jesus. Uh, James, the brother of Jesus, also is the author of the letter James. John is the author of the fourth gospel as well as three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the final book of the Bible, the Revelation. And then Paul himself wrote 13 of the New Testament letters. What's, what's the point? Whether the gospel comes to us from Paul or James or Peter or John, it's the same united unified gospel the same message of God's salvation in Jesus Christ for all who believe the whole message of the New Testament as well as the Old Testament hangs together in fundamental unity 
Uh, and this is one of the great evidences to us of the divine source and binding authority of the Bible. It really is the word of God. It doesn't change from culture to, to culture or generation to generation. It's the one consistent life-giving gospel which has been preserved for us, not only in its unifying power, but also, as we see here, in its unconditional grace. What was the core issue when Paul and the other apostles sat down uh, together to discuss the message that they proclaimed? Uh, it was whether or not Gentiles should be required to undergo the Jewish rite of circumcision and follow the other Mosaic laws in order to be accepted by God and welcomed uh, into the church. That was the question. And to make his case that nothing more than simple faith in Jesus Christ is necessary for salvation, Paul brings along Titus the Gentile. Titus is exhibit A of the unconditional grace of the gospel. He's an uncircumcised, Greek-speaking, non-Jewish follower of Jesus. And verse 3 tells us that even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. No other requirements, no other conditions were placed upon him before the apostles and the rest of the church welcomed him in as a beloved brother in Christ. And now look at verse 4. Yet, Paul says, because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ, so that they might bring us into slavery. And just pause there. Do, do you see why Paul is so riled up in this letter to the Galatians? He is smoking hot in terms of anger at these False teachers who aren't just false teachers, they're false brothers. They're counterfeit Christians. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. They are abusive leaders. And their agenda, says Paul, is to secretly sabotage his ministry and his message of grace among the Galatians in order to bring them into the soul-crushing freedom destroying bondage of self-salvation by means of keeping the law. But Paul is zealously to the truth of the gospel. So he says in verse 5, To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment. Why? So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. I love that about Paul. He is immovable as he takes his stand on the grace, the unconditional grace of the God. will not budge one inch, and neither must we. It's by grace you have been saved, Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. This faith 
by which we apprehend and receive the saving grace of God. It's not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. No one. Titus was not required to be circumcised because Christ fulfilled all the demands of the law and has done away forever with the need for any other requirement but faith in him to be accepted by God. And even that faith is a gift of his grace. Nothing, my friends, absolutely no thing can be added to the finished work of Jesus. And if you try to add something to the gospel, what you're saying is that the work of Jesus is not sufficient. It's not complete. You've got to do something to tidy it up and make yourself acceptable before God. You cannot try to be saved. You cannot try to be a Christian. You cannot try to be forgiven. The gospel says there is no try. Only trust. And our souls will never know peace with God until we realize the gospel has nothing to do with our doing. Nothing at all. But everything to do with what Jesus has already done for you. Dear friends, your debt has been paid. Your sins have been atoned for, every single one of them, past, present, and future. Your guilt has been removed, all of it. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He what? Washed it white as snow. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but what? The whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it how much longer? No more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. All you must do to be right with God is to know your need for the grace and mercy of God And simply rest your weary, sin-sick soul on Christ who has fully and forever secured your salvation. Have you done that? If not, will you right now just turn in simple repentance and faith to Jesus Christ and say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've offended your holiness by my sin, by my Uh, many transgressions and by my failures to obey your law and I stand under the judgment of God and I simply turn in faith Jesus to you I believe that you have satisfied all the demands of God's righteousness by your life death and resurrection you did that for me and I take your work as my own I give you my sin and I take your righteousness And when you do that, friends, the promise of the gospel is all your sins are forgiven and you stand holy and blameless without one spot or wrinkle before the holy God of heaven and earth. And you are dearly and deeply loved by him and delighted in him now and forever.
And there is nothing, no thing you've done to contribute to that except simply receive it like a beggar, like a beggar receives bread. The gospel has been preserved for us in its unifying power and in its unconditional grace. And finally, it's been preserved for us in its universal welcome. If you look again at verse 7 and 8, you'll notice that Peter's ministry was primarily to the Jews and Paul's was primarily to the Gentiles. So let me ask you, according to these verses, you got Peter to the Jews, Paul to the Gentiles. Who is the gospel for? I think I heard the right answer somewhere in there. Is there any category of human being to whom or for whom the gospel is not offered? The gospel is for everyone, folks. Everyone. It's for all people of all backgrounds, colors, creeds, classes, and nationalities. This unifying gospel of unconditional grace is universal in its welcome. That means it's for you. It's for me. Do you believe that this morning? That the gospel, it's not just for other people. It's for you personally. There's only one qualification you'll ever need in order to be considered a valid recipient of this unified, gracious, welcoming gospel. Only one. You know what it is? You need to be a sinner. That's the only qualification you need to meet. You need to be a sinner. Are you? Well, if you've ever violated the law of God in your thought life, with your words, your attitudes, your desires, or your behavior, then you are a sinner. You've transgressed the law of God, and that means you stand before the judge of the universe guilty and rightly condemned, deserving only his eternal wrath. And that means you qualify, my friend, to run boldly and quickly to God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to cast yourself on his mercy for forgiveness and for the righteousness that he has secured for you by his life, death, and resurrection. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been, where you're from, what you've done, or what you haven't done. All you need to know is that you're a sinner deserving God's just condemnation. And that Christ has promised in his word to save all who come to him by simple faith. He says, all who come to me I will never cast out. Whoever believes in me shall never die. He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He welcomes you, my friend. He welcomes guilty, hell-deserving sinners by sheer grace. Will you receive his welcome? If you've been welcomed by Christ, then you need to remember the gospel is not only for you, but it's for people who are not like you. 
It's for those people. It's for that person. It's for that family. It's for that neighborhood. It's for that group. It's for all those that you're uncomfortable with. At the end of the passage in verse 10, Paul tells us that the apostles asked him and Barnabas to remember the poor. And did you catch what Paul said? He said, that was the very thing I was eager to do. Are you? Are you eager to remember the poor? Is your family eager to remember the poor? Are we as a church eager to remember the poor? That, you know, that's going to be one of the great tests by which the Lord Jesus evaluates his people on the last day at the great judgment seat of Christ. He's going to ask us what we did with the poor, what we did with the hungry, what we did with the homeless, what we did with the naked, what we did with the prisoner. If we've been loved by God in the abject wretchedness and poverty of our sin and redeemed by the riches of his grace through the death of his son and brought into his family by his welcoming spirit, then we need to make sure, we need to make sure there is room in our lives and room in our homes and in our families and in our church for all those for whom Christ makes room in his kingdom. Friends, the truth of the gospel has been preserved for you in its unifying power, in its unconditional grace, and in its universal welcome. So what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? as we're going to sing at the conclusion of our service. So the Lord commands us, Come, ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus, ready, stands to save you. Full of pity, joined with power. He is able. He is able. And he is willing. Doubt no more. Let us pray. Holy Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us even now and impress upon us and into the deepest crevices of our souls, the, the unifying power and unconditional grace and universal welcome of this precious, life-giving, life-changing gospel. For those of us here, Father, this morning who have never received the grace of God in Jesus Christ, would you cause today to be the day of salvation for them? They may 
have been in church for many years and been under the sound of the gospel many times, but their eyes have never been opened. Their ears have never truly heard the message of grace that is for them. And so, cause the miracle of the new birth in their hearts. Create life and give repentance and faith to them even now to run to Jesus who stands ready, willing, and able to save. And for those, Father, who do know the Lord Jesus and love him and long to know and love and serve him more, would you impress upon us that this precious gospel has been preserved for us and now entrusted into our hands, we must preserve it for the next generation. We must keep it not only for ourselves, but for our families. I pray for dads, especially in this room, that they would convey the wonder of the gospel to their children in word and deed, that they would take the lead in their home of preserving the gospel for their family. And Father, would you enable us by your grace not to budge one inch from the grace, the sheer grace that is in the gospel. May we never add anything to it, take anything away from it, try to trim it or adjust it to meet the fickle um, desires of our own hearts or the hearts of this uh, perverse and wicked generation in this world. May we stand like Paul on the wonderful grace, unchanging grace of the gospel. And now as we come to your table, Lord Jesus, would you enable us to see with eyes of faith in the bread and the wine these emblems of your dying love for us and as we hold them in our hands and smell them and taste them and take them into our bodies would you by your holy spirit confirm in our souls the truths that we've heard Assure us of your promises of grace to us, that we really do belong to you and you to us, and that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. O love that will not let us go. And then send us from here, having been strengthened and nourished by this glorious gospel, to go and to live in its power and its freedom and its joy in every area of life. We ask all these things through Jesus Christ who makes it all possible in all God's people said, amen.